we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, and it's, it's fitting that we just spent the last few minutes talking about the 24 hours of prayer, because you may have noticed from the bulletin that the title of, of the sermon tonight is a prayer for knowledge, and so prayer is, is what we're going to be talking about this evening, and, and as we just finished the 24 hours of prayer, I hope that, that prayer is, is on your mind, and that as we began announcing the 24 hours of prayer, and, and people were signing up, that, that you all were thinking about prayer in general. And I remember the first time we, we decided to do the 24 hours of prayer, and we had one-hour time slots to sign up, and so you'd come to the church and pray for an hour, and, and I don't know about all of you, but I typically, on a regular basis, don't have a solid hour that I spend praying. And so my first thought was, what am I going to pray for for a whole hour? And I know I'm not the only one who thinks that, so... Uh, or who thought that. Uh, so one of the things that I was incredibly thankful for is the prayer guide. And the prayer guide is, is a great way for all of us to stay on track, to know that there are certain things to be praying for. Now, obviously, we didn't have to uh, only pray through the prayer guide. I'm, I'm sure plenty of you prayed for, for things outside of what was on the prayer guide. But, but for those of us who maybe weren't sure what to pray for, the guide was really helpful. And I'm sure it kept us on track, and, and as we finished one thought and then moved to a next, we weren't left without knowing what we could be praying for. There, there was another thing on the list. And oftentimes, I think we neglect to, to realize that the Bible also can serve as a prayer guide for us. Oftentimes, maybe, maybe when we, we think about prayer, we're unsure of, of what to pray or, or how we should approach prayer but the Bible has a lot to say about prayer and, and what to pray for and, and the attitude in which we should pray. And so I wanted us to look tonight at Ephesians chapter 1 because in it we see Paul's prayer for the Ephesian people. And, and his prayer for the Ephesian people is one that's typically for knowledge. Okay, and so I want us to look where we're going to begin in verse 15, and there's actually a typo in the bulletin. We're going to go all the way to verse 23, not stop at verse 21. So follow along with me. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray this evening. God, we thank you for this passage in Ephesians. We thank you for Friday and Saturday that we spent 24 hours around the clock as a church praying to you. And God, I pray that our, our time this evening as we think about the topic of prayer that you would help us to, to understand what Paul is, is requesting and that you would help us to see how, how we also could, could pray in, in the same way. 
God, we ask you, your spirit to be at work among us this evening. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to look at, at some specific things that Paul prays for, some, some specifics that he gets in, in, into and asks for from God. But before we do that, I want us to notice first the occasion on which Paul is praying. The occasion for which Paul is praying. And if we look at verse 15, we see what the occasion is. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I think oftentimes when we think about prayer and when we think about the occasions on which we pray, typically we are led to pray during times of hardship, during times of tragedy, during times of sickness, during times of financial instability, during times where we're unsure of of what we should do, whether we should go this way or go that way or make this decision or that decision. And I feel like oftentimes we, we typically feel like those are the times in which we need God's guidance and we need God's help. And so usually what happens is when we approach those those moments in life, that is when we are led into prayer. And we pray to God for guidance in those, those areas, for help in the hardship that we're dealing with, for, for all kinds of things. But I think what's, what's difficult when we do that for so long is we begin to think that the hard times, the tragedies, the sickness, is the only time that we really need God. Because if, if we pray for those things, usually when, when life is hard we begin to forget that we need God also when life is good. And so I know I've found myself getting in ruts like this before where I'm not really praying a whole lot except when I notice everything's going wrong. Then I'm praying all the time. But I want us to notice first the occasion for which Paul is praying. He's not praying because a tragedy has arisen. He's not praying because their faith is in doubt. He's not praying because they're falling away. He's praying simply because... I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love towards all the saints. This is a great thing. This is a joyous moment that has led Paul to want to pray to God and thank Him, not just thank Him, but also pray for the Ephesian people. And I wonder, for those of us who are here, as as we think about our own prayer life, are we typically led to pray during the difficult times? Or are we also thinking about praying during the good and joyous and and happy times in life? And I think we can take note here that that Paul is, is praying all the time. When he's happy, when he's sad, when he's in jail, no matter what, Paul realizes that God is always accessible through prayer and Paul takes advantage of that. And Paul also realizes that he needs God not only when life is hard, but also when life is good. So that's the occasion for which we find Paul praying. But now we're going to get into a little bit more of the specifics of what Paul is praying. So look, beginning in verse 17. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So here we see in verse 17 and the very beginning of verse 18, Paul is really praying a blanket statement. 
Here's overarching what I am wanting to accomplish in my prayer. I want God that He would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul is saying, the whole goal in what I'm praying for you is that you would know God more. That you would have a deeper understanding of who God is. He says, I'm also praying that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. We just spent 24 hours as a church praying. Around the clock, 24 hours. I wonder how many of those 24 hours were spent praying that God would reveal Himself to us more. As we meet on Wednesday nights, and, and as we, we pray on Wednesday nights, and as we uh, announce our, our prayer requests and updates and all these types of things, I wonder, are, are we thinking that we need to be asking God that He would reveal Himself to us more? Because we are, we're aware when, when sickness is, is apparent and when people are struggling and having hardness, we go to God and we pray and we lift those things up all the time, but are we, are we also realizing we need God to reveal Himself to us more? In your own personal prayer life, when you're praying at home or, or in the car or at work or wherever it is, are you praying that God would continue to reveal Himself to you? That you would know Him on a deeper level? Or are you satisfied with, with where you're at, with what you know about God? Is that enough for you? And I really hope that as a result of what we see in Ephesians 1 tonight, that we would understand that we need to constantly be praying and asking God that He would continue to reveal Himself to us. That we would continue to know Him better and deeper. I wonder if that's even a, a conscious thought that you have. Do I even think about wanting to know God more? Is that a desire of my heart? We all have, have various desires. We all want our, the people that are close to us, our loved ones, to not be experiencing pain and, and hardness and tragedy, and, and we pray for them when they are. But do you desire to know God better? To know God deeper? Because if we do... We should be praying that God would do that. That God would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. That He would open the eyes of our hearts that we would know Him better. So Paul begins this prayer with a blanket statement saying, I'm praying for you Ephesians. Now, now remember, he's not praying out of tragedy or hardship or anything like that. He's praying simply because I heard of your faith. And he says... I'm praying that you would want to know God more. I'm praying that you'd be filled with a desire to have God revealed to you. That's, that's overarching what Paul wants to accomplish in this prayer. But now let's look at some specific things that he prays for. There are three of them. The first we find in the right after the first part of verse 18. Paul says, I'm praying that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. That's the first one. Right after that is the second one. He says, I'm praying that you would know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And then the third one, in verse 19, 
He says, I'm praying that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So here are the three specific areas in which Paul is praying that the Ephesians would be filled with knowledge of God. It's that they would know the hope to which God has called them, they would know the glorious inheritance in the saints, and that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. So let's begin with the first. Paul prays that they would know the hope to which God has called them. And I want to ask you a question. Do you understand or do you know that when God calls someone, He calls you for a purpose? God is not just calling random people just because it's fun to call people. God is calling those and giving them a specific purpose. If God has called you... He has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God is going to do something with you. Do you want to know what that is? There are a bunch of of passages in the Bible. The New Testament in particular is not silent about what God has called us to. And I want us to look at at some of these passages. Now, I don't need you to turn to every one of them. I'll I'll read them off and, and tell you what they say, but maybe you can jot them down. Romans chapter 1 verse 6 says that we are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 7, the very next verse, says that we are called to be saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 says that we are called into the fellowship of God's Son. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 says we are called to be united into one body. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10 says that we are called to an eternal glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 says that we are called to God's kingdom and glory. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says that we are called to eternal life. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 says that we are called to receive a promised eternal inheritance. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says that we are called to a holy calling. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says we are called to be holy even as God is holy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that says we are called out of darkness and into marvelous light. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, says that we are called to holiness and not impurity. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, says we are called not to repay evil for evil, but to bless. So it's no wonder that Paul says later in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The New Testament is not silent about what Christians are called for. I just named off 13 verses that say specifically, you are called for blank. Holiness. You're called to be in fellowship. You're called to be one body. Clearly, God had a purpose in mind when He called each and every one of us. When He called you to be His own child, He has given you a purpose and He has not made that unknown. There are many specifics that that maybe are not addressed, but there are so many general callings to which we know is the purpose for us. Holiness being one in particular. Are you pursuing holiness? Do you even know that being called as God's child means you are called to holiness? Do you desire holiness? 
Are you wanting to be holy as God is holy? Paul says, the first thing I'm praying for you Ephesian believers is that you would know the hope to which you have been called. Know the reason that God has called you. Know what He is planning to do with you. I want you to know that. Do you want to know that? Are you praying and asking God that He would reveal that to you? Second, Paul says, I'm praying that you would know the riches of the inheritance in the saints. Do you spend much time thinking about what is coming after death? I oftentimes do not. I'm so caught up in in life right here and and right now that, that I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what is coming after death. Now, many of you know that just a couple of weekends ago, I I took a a trip up to New Jersey to go to a funeral for a great aunt. And the pastor who performed the funeral did a fantastic job, and and he told us that he had met with my aunt Peggy about two months prior to her passing away. And she she told him kind of exactly what she wanted her service to be like, and, and I would like these songs played, and I would like you to, to preach this passage and explain this passage, and, and it was great. And then he said at the end, she said, you know what? I'm excited for my funeral service because I won't be there, but I know where I will be. There's someone who is aware of the inheritance that's coming. But the Bible also speaks a lot about the inheritance that's coming to us. And I think this is helpful for numerous reasons because if, if you think about, if you've ever gone on a vacation, usually vacations are not spontaneous. Maybe sometimes they are. But usually if you're going to go on a vacation, you're going to spend time, you're going to plan it out, you're going to know the dates, and you're going to have time to look forward to that. And so maybe you don't have a good job or you don't enjoy your job. And so if you know that at a set date, you're going to leave, you're going to go on vacation, you're going to be with your family, your friends, whoever it is, you're maybe going to the beach or somewhere nice, you don't have to deal with these people at work, it kind of maybe helps you get through those difficult days, doesn't it? It gives you something to look forward to. I know when, when Sam was pregnant with Graham, she very much so looked forward to the day that she was no longer pregnant with Graham. She had something to look forward to to help her get through the difficulties of pregnancy. And, and just like that in a, in a temporal sense, we have an internal, eternal inheritance to look forward to to help us get through the difficulties of life. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 tells us that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says about our inheritance that there's going to be a multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation singing praises to God. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says that our inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 4 says that we will see His face and His name will be written on our foreheads. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says that He will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. Paul also wrote Romans 8, 18, which says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. See, Paul understood what the inheritance was that he had to look forward to, and he knew, because I know that, I understand that the sufferings that I experience right now are nothing compared to what I will receive. Now, here's a passage I do want you to turn to. Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you are an underliner or a highlighter, uh, and you like to write or circle things in your Bible, I highly recommend that you circle, underline, highlight, and all the above these three verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I'll read that last verse again. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses knew what was coming. And Moses knew that even the greatest riches that that Egypt had to offer was nothing compared to what God has promised for those who believe. Paul prays that God, that, that the Ephesian people would know the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. But then Paul prays for a third thing. We see this in verse 19. Paul prays that they would know the, great, the greatness of God's power towards those who believe. The greatness of God's power towards those who believe. Have you ever given a whole lot of thought about what God has done in your life to save you? Have you ever given much thought to what God is currently doing in your life to transform you to the image of His Son? Are you aware that the Spirit who's dwelling inside of you is currently working to transform you to the image of Jesus? Now, as, as I thought about Paul praying that he wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, I was thinking about my own life and, and thinking about the, the ways in which God has, has worked in my life and, and done some amazing things in my life, and, and I, I can tell that God obviously has done a lot, but I would say as over the course of my life, as I look back, my life seems relatively mundane. My life seems like there's not really that many super exciting highs and not many super down lows, and so as I think about God's immeasurable greatness and the power that he's working inside of me, uh, I'm tempted to think, can't be that great. My life's been kind of boring, to be honest. 
But thankfully, Paul doesn't say, look at your own experience and see the greatness of God at work in you. Look at what he says following in verse 19. He says, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, comma, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says, you want to know the immeasurable greatness that God works in those who believe? Look at the resurrection. You may not notice it in your life. You may not, looking at your own life, see what God has been doing. But if you want to know the greatness that is, in, that is in, at work in you, look at the resurrection. Look what he did with Jesus. He raised him from the dead, and not only did he give him life, but then he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And if we continue reading, he says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet. He gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you want to know the power that God is working in those who believe Look at the resurrection. Look at what he's done in Jesus. Look at how he brought a dead, lifeless corpse back to life and seated him at the right hand of God the Father and he is now over and ruling over everything. Everything is subjected under Jesus' feet. He says that is the power that God is doing at work in your life if you believe. That's incredible. John Stott, who wrote a commentary on, on the book of Ephesians, said that man is constrained by two things, death and evil. Everyone dies, and everyone is affected by sin. He says, but God has shown that in his power he has both the ability to rescue us from death and evil by showing us Jesus. God has shown us that he has authority over death, which no other man does. He showed us that by resurrecting Jesus from the dead, and he showed us that he has the power over evil by then placing Jesus in authority over all things. If you are believing the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and sit him at his right hand, He's working in you right now through the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty incredible passage. It's a pretty incredible prayer that Paul prays for us to know these things. But, but it kind of left me with one final question. Why does Paul simply pray for knowledge but not for God's blessing? And remember, the Ephesians, they're, they're a church that, that Paul is writing to. And, and you think that Paul would pray that God would bless their, their ministries and that God would bless the preaching of the Word and that the, God would bless their evangelism and their outreach, that they would have, have a lot of fruit from those ministries, but we don't see that. Paul's only praying that they would know things. But I reread Ephesians chapter 1. And I found the answer in, in verse 3. Look with me at verse 3. 
Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul doesn't pray that God will bless them because he knows that God already has. He's already blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Paul prays that they would know that. God, we thank you for this evening and for this passage in Ephesians. And God, I pray this evening that we would know. God, I pray we would know what is the hope to which you have called us. I pray that we would know what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. And God, I pray that we would know the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.